And welcome to John's Comic Corner. I am John, and this is the show where I sit down with somebody, talk about their likes, their dislikes, what they like to read, what they don't like to read, the, their favorite movies, their favorite TV shows, and then I recommend a comic based on that. And today we have with us our special, extra special guest star, Mr. Chad Cheveland. Snaps to you, sir. I'm, you can't, you, for those of you who are listening, you can't see me snapping. You probably can't even hear me. Did <laughs> I get some snaps in there? Excellent. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, John. I'm, I'm really excited that we were able to get on, get to do this. Oh, this feels like it's been about a month and a half in the making, which I think it has been. At least, yeah. We've been struggling to get some, some time on the schedule. <laughs> You're a very busy guy. Um, we have actually, let me, before we go into the main show, I just want to do a plug. We here at Don't Sue Us, please, are moving into a new um, genre with our April is the cruelest month. Um, that is our new, um, how we are rebuilding ourselves after moving out of the superhero genre. Um, we do have a um, Kickstarter going. So if you would like to make a pledge, please do visit us, uh, Kickstarter slash April is the cruelest month. Um, the scripts that Matthew and I are working on, they're just things that I'm so, 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 so proud of. Um, and we really want to bring them to life to everybody. So if you can make a pledge, um, please do. Uh, if you can signal boost, please do. And we want to thank you in advance and say thank you to everyone who has um, pledged so far. So again, snaps to you guys. I don't know why I'm doing the Reese Witherspoon thing with the snapping. I guess <laughs> maybe I just feel very legally blonde today. Um, so Chad, let us start off with a simple, tell me a little bit about your, tell us all a little bit about your comics background. What have you read? You know, um, tell me a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Um, as a child of the 90s, my basic comic book understanding has been through television. So like the animated X-Men shows, animated uh, Spider-Mans, like that was really my first foray into it. I was never a kid who We'll go down the corner drugstore and buy a comic book. I never really had a comic book collection. It hasn't been till maybe past couple of years where I started like started to read a few comic books, a couple of the anthologies, a couple of collections. So, on my library, I have read Batman Hush, which is probably my my favorite to date. Um, I've read a couple of the um, Civil War comic books because you know. I'm one of those guys, you know, when the Civil War movie was coming out, I got to check what, what source material was like. Um, I've read some of the, the broader graphic novels like Watchmen, uh, V for Vendetta. Um, but pretty much that's, that's pretty much what it is. It's, it's those, those books, those, that written literature. Everything else has been multimedia, that sort of thing. Nothing too drastic, I would say. And of course, you had byliners yes of course i had well two act two intros actually so i had byliners recently which is um coming up very very shortly which i'm very excited for um great writing in that one so it's a lot of good action sequences um but also uh, a couple years ago i was on the uh the podcast from madam xanadu that's right that's right so i played a couple characters with that so i, for I completely forgot about that shockingly enough so that was more or less based off of the Justice League Dark um, storylines. And so I read a couple of those as well. I forgot about those. Yeah, yeah it was a, um, that was a long, Wonder Woman and Madame Xanadu were quite a long process mm -hmm. to go from script to 
actuality. <laughs> um, yes. However, you're all the comics, so let's get to that. Yes. Um, we chose, and I don't know why I'm going to hold this up to my camera, but I'm going to because I know that people can't see, but just in case. Um, we are doing Ex Machina um, by Brian K. Vaughn um, with art by Tony Harris. Um, and we're actually just going to do the first 10 issues. There are, I believe it's 54 issues all together. Um, and Chad, God bless you. You've got the whole omnibus. I did. Because I, I needed something to weigh me down. It is, again, I'm, I'm showing it to the camera. I don't know why. But it is l larger than an encyclopedia. This is the definitely the heaviest piece of, the heaviest book I own. Um, and... I can barely hold it with one hand. It's it's gigantic. It's ginormous. And I, I got it in the mail and I'm like, this is a terrible idea. Why did I do this? So why did I do this to myself? But I'm excited so to read through it. You not only read it, you can also use it as a weight and Ooh. you can use it to um, help knead bread dough when you make homemade bread during, <laughs> during uh, the uh, holiday quarantine season. Um, <laughs> Or uh, kill small children, you know, anything, really. Yeah, you know, hopefully accidentally. Yeah. Hopefully. Accident, of course, you know, you drop it from a small height, you know, they're running around. I love my nieces and nephews. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I joke. Um, so shall we get into it? Let's do, do a little. It. Or do you want to go into a little history of Ex Machina first? If you have the history, I, I love history lessons history. Um, also, I actually can't believe I'm going to say this up front. Spoiler alert and full warning. There is no way to, for us to talk about this without actually spoiling you on some elements of it. We will try to not spoil everything for you. And of course, we're only talking about the first 10 issues. Mm -hmm. So you have another 44 issues to go. So we're not going to spoil everything for you. But spoiler alert in full effect. You have been warned, and I hopefully will not say that again for the rest of the, the rest of the show. Um, so this, uh, the writer Brian K. Vaughn, you may know him. He did this little book called Saga, which I, I you know, don't know if anybody's ever heard of. Um, he also did Paper Girls. Both of those were for Image. He did um, Pride of Baghdad, which is an amazing book, and if you've never read it, you absolutely should. It's it's genius everything about this book is genius uh he did of course why the last man um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and which is a wonderful book as well he did he um he did runaways um he did i'm trying to think of what else he did um he did a bunch of buffy the vampire slayer um mm -hmm. and i from ultimate x-men as well i may be wrong about that I'm wrong about a lot of things in my life, but I do believe he did. He did do some Ultimate X-Men. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Good. I'm glad to know that. Um, so anyway, this was a series that came out. It started in 2004. It has since ended. So you, uh, if you wanted to do what Chad did and get the big omnibus, it's all wrapped up in one large, beautiful, very heavy hardcover. Um, and I'm going to read a quote, which is not something that I normally do, but this is actually going to lead us directly into the discussion, um, but he said, uh, quote, Ex Machina was about trying to make sense of the world after watching from the roof of my apartment in Brooklyn as these buildings, the Twin Towers, fell and trying to make sense of politics and this concept of heroism and whether that's a real thing or just something we impose on people. 
Um, so that's something that I really mm. wanted to. This book fascinates me for many reasons. Um, because even though it really doesn't talk terribly specifically about politics, it doesn't take a side in politics. There, you know, there's characters on both sides of the fence because apparently we can, there's only two sides these days. Um, it's from both sides of the fence. Um, but it is inherently a political book. It's about a former superhero who becomes the mayor of New York just after September 11th. Um, and I am fascinated by the, the way that it, I, the only way that I could sort of make sense of it in my head and that this is how I wrote it. I originally wrote power versus the politics of power, but then I, I kind of crossed that out and I wrote the politics of power versus the power of politics, which is fascinating to me. Are you, Chad, are you a political, are you, how do you like politics in your, in your, your reading, your fiction? Well, in, that's the weird thing. So in, in my fiction, when I, when I, when I read something, whether it's comic books or, or uh, novels, um, politics is not something that I, I gear towards. Um, it's something that there's always a little bit of politics in anything you read, but it's never something that I kind of seek out. It always kind of becomes an afterthought and it's never, it's never been something I, I dislike, but it's never been something that's been fascinating. And that's, we'll get into it, I'm sure. But like this, just reading the first couple issues of this, of this uh, massive novel, it's the politics is front and foremost. And it's not something they, like you said, it's not something they shy away from. And it's very intriguing and engaging. And it's, they, they try to make it not necessarily accessible, but something that even those people who are not politically minded, they understand the importance of what they're talking about within this, this universe that they've built. Um, so I think they handle the politics very well when they're, when he's writing it. Yeah. And it's there, it's, it, it never reads to me particularly heavy handed or with any sort of agenda. It reads to me as a sort of idea that, that politics is actually not about winning and losing so much as it's about compromising and so much as it is about trying to figure out how to get along with people that you simply don't agree with. Um, and which is kind of fascinating because generally politics, at least in the comics that I've read, um, generally politics are handled as this sort of um, background or, um, you know, it's Lex Luthor becoming president or it's Superman yeah. landing in communist Russia. And it's, but it takes a, it, the story is much larger and it doesn't necessarily weave together politics and superheroes. I don't know if that makes sense. Would it be safe to say in most comic books you read, the politics is a plot point or a plot device opposed to it being a part of the, the greater whole? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah. that's one of the things that I find excuse me, I find really fascinating about this. Um, and I, 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 when I was writing my notes for this, I mm. this as a separate note, but I realized there's kind of no way to separate all of these. These all, all of these things flow together is mm. how are we most useful in society? Because he very clearly thinks that he's most useful by using his ability to talk to machines and to control machines. Mm. 
feels like he's useful as a superhero, um, though, frankly, not particularly good at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's shut down the subway system for 11 hours. Side um, note, that was probably the, when I first read that, I laughed out loud for a good 10 minutes because I, I loved that they humanized the character because you see all these superhero movies and like it, it's everyone sees the the grandiose actions that these people take you know they save the they save the girl the girl falling out of the window or they stop a speeding train but you don't see the aftermath you don't see how that small little effect ripples out after after that single moment and that one of the very first things i think it's on page two is that kind of highlight his first task his first uh outing as a superhero and like the the devastating effects of that and he kind of clipped up a newspaper and he hung it in mm-hmm. in the, the mayor's office as a reminder of like his his failings as well as his, his triumphs and i, I love that about that yeah you never really see unless it's a particular plot point where superman says well every bullet i deflect has the you know might accidentally hit somebody else but nobody ever talks about that when no. he's in the middle of deflecting bullets you know nobody ever you know, when Batman's stopping a mugger, there's never any fear that he's going to accidentally, you know, judo flip a mugger into the victim. <laughs> and yet, statistically speaking, it's happened. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Batman. I know you're perfect. Um, but I, I love the idea of um, someone discovering how are we most useful in society? Because I feel like that's something that we, um, especially now, especially given the... Um, the circumstances of 2020, um, I think a lot of us are really thinking, how how am I useful? What do I do? Um, and I love the fact that he decides, you know, not using his abilities is the most useful thing that he can do. I agree. And it kind of, it begs the question, like, is he is he being the great machine? Is he going off on this vigilante quest because that's what he feels or that's what he felt he needed to do to like serve his purpose? Or was this something that his friend Kremlin, Ivan, did he force him into that? Did he kind of talk him into being like, you need to use your powers that you've been given? Because that's 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 his role, and at least in the first you know 10, 10 issues, is it's Kremlin saying you need to, you know, use your powers, not hide behind them. And uh, I think um, Mayor Hundred, let's call him—I don't call him Mitchell or Hundred. I think one of it, one of his lines was, "I've done more good in the first day of being a mayor than the past year and a half as the Great Machine." Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, that's that's that is the question of like, can what which power is greater? You're physical power your your magical power or the power of what you do for those what 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 you can do for other people as a civil servant or an engineer that sort of thing yeah and it's it's again tying this into the last year um i i, I am really fascinated by the idea of him kind of giving up this privilege that he has so he is white he is heterosexual as a male you know if you kind of parallel that with the fact that he's giving up this superpower and i'm making it sound very preachy this is not a preachy book at all so if if, you know you're worried about that don't please don't worry about that it's a fantastic read um but i i again i'm fascinated by how 
we decide to sort of set aside our own privilege and say, um, you know, let me be part of, let me look out for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also as a super, you know, as a superhero, there's this sort of thought that you're, you know, I'm saving the whole world. And it's, it's like, well, you're kind of doing this one person at a time as opposed to making a policy about education, which affects tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of, of children. I don't exactly. know. How yeah. I have no idea. Um, all I know is they all seem to be on the train whenever I'm on it, and it's rather <laughs> annoying. Um, I love children. Love them. Love them all. But please stop <laughs> Cough, them. cough. Just please don't let them kick me when we're on the subway. Please. <laughs> Um, I mean, not, not to go down the, this particular rabbit hole, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of begs the question too, like he gave up his power to, to, to kind of be the greater good in New York City, which is great in the context of the book. But going into the broader scheme of things, like if you're looking at, at him from an outside perspective, not seeing like the, the minuscule things he's doing, he, he was a symbol him as the great machine, he was a, a symbol and he only really worked professionally as a superhero for like a year and a half or something like that. But it's curious, like I'm thinking about like if Superman was only a superhero for like a year and a half, would he have had the same influence in that short period of time? Or like, because the whole goal of being a superhero is to change society and like try to change the mentality of the criminal element or the people doing wrong in your city or your, your country or whatever. Um, though he, the great machine was not doing that many great deeds to like make a, a significant change. What kind of affected his, his, his aura, his persona grant to the city? You know, if, if he had stuck with it, would he have had a greater impact? You know, that's, that's one of the things that's, that's one of the things really interesting because he gave it up because he felt felt that being the mayor would be a better influence, and I agree with him in, in a certain aspect. But like, would he have done better f- for as a whole if he had not given up his powers? And that's the, the that's a the, that's a debate. That's a dichotomy of his choice. Yeah, and I think one of the fascinating things. I don't think this is a conversation that you, that we should have without stopping for a second and saying. I think everybody who's read comics or watched a superhero movie or watched X-Men animated or Batman animated series has not at some point said, if I were a hero, I'd be like that and I'd always do the right thing and I'd always do the good thing and I'd be awesome. But then you sort of realize, well, no, because we're human and we make mistakes and we, um, you know, the kind of each hero, each group of hero, however you want to, heroes, pardon my not using the plural, everybody sort of has their, um, you know, their mission statement. You know, Wonder Woman is here to not necessarily just protect us, but to, to teach us and to guide us and to make the world a better place. Superman is here to sort of, um, Superman is here to be our big brother and protect us but let us do our own thing and make our own mistakes. Um, you know, Batman is the sort of the, the darkest impulses to, to take revenge so that we don't have to. Um, but you, you, I sort of think 
that may have been the thing that was missing from the great machine, sort of what is this mission statement? You know, it is, yeah. or, um, you know, if you're going to war against crime, what's your objective and what are your terms, what, what's your, what's your terms of victory? Is it just to stop this one particular mugging? Mm -hmm. In which case you've done your job, but is it, is it something larger? Um, Am I rambling? No, I'm, I'm, I'm following you and I agree with you. Um, so I didn't, you know, I, I think that that is sort of this, this fascinating thing. We, we have after, I think it's 85 years of Superman now, something like that, mm -hmm. um, 1930, 1938 till now. So let's just go with 80. Close enough. Or 85. Let's, let's round up. I don't care. <laughs> You know, sort of after having 85 years of superheroes where most people just had powers and fought crime, um, you know, we've sort of, I feel like on some level, comics have become this thing where it's just about that and it's not necessarily about something specific. For example, the X-Men were there to show people, yes, we're different, it's okay, we're still going to fight for you, but we're also going to make sure that we protect our, our own selves, our own rights, our own, you know, selves as, as mutants. Um, so it's, it's almost become such a, it's almost become such a trope that we've forgotten to look beneath the trope. And I think that's something that this book does really brilliantly. I agree. I agree. Um, Yeah, I, I don't have any follow-ups to that. <laughs> I just agree. Okay, excellent. Um, now, you had talked about Kremlin earlier. Kremlin is mm. his, his sidekick. Sidekick? It's his Alfred, I guess. In yeah, let's go with his Alfred. I loved his journey, and especially in the first book, um, and I don't want to get too far into the later books, but I love his journey in the first book because... It read to me, and please tell me if you see this differently, because I, I think you probably did. But to me, it's it's that sort of thought of when you hit this certain point in your life and you're made to be irrelevant, but you still feel like you're relevant, but you're clinging to this older way of do this older, almost simplistic way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it was, that was how I read it. Am I, how did you take a look at that? I had a hard time getting a, a feel on, on Kremlin. Cause again, he's, he's very barely in it. So as, as big of an influence as he has on the first 10 books, the first, we'll call it first chapter. Um, you don't really get a lot of his backstory. You don't really get what he's all about. Um, you see him like, cause he's, he uh, obviously grew up with, Kremlin like he was there when he was a kid and he's been a big part of his life he works as a mechanic for in Coney Island I believe and yeah so he he had kind of clung to this sort of was he an ex he was obviously Soviet but was he is he still does he still can, uh, kind of identify as a Soviet who knows um, but yeah so he has that mentality of th this old world mentality um, 
and he was the first person to kind of push Mitchell towards being the superhero, like using his powers for good or, or the good of man. And I feel like it's less about clinging to an old way of doing things. It's more towards he wants to be a part of it. You know, he he's not he's not directly able to help people or make a difference, but he's in a way kind of using Mitchell's powers. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, vicariously? Like, thank you. I, it was on the tip of my tongue. Using those powers vicariously to try to like create meaning for his own life. You know, um, I, I don't, I don't read it as a very, it's a strictly selfish way. He's not doing it to give himself pleasure, but it's, it's this, it's this, this need almost to create something better with his hands opposed to with words. Yeah. And I think that's the, the big dividing point between the two characters um, in this chapter. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I totally see that. Yeah. It just, there was something about me, especially because there's a, a thought that one of their old nemeses, neme, villains Nemesi. is back. Nemesi. Nemesis um, is back, um, and um, so I I don't know why I got that feeling in the, this first these these first mm-hmm. this first chapter um, that it was this sort of need, and I I think that's sort of does tie into politics, especially the conversation that we were having this year of well you know if you want something new and fresh and exciting why is our you know why is why are the, the choices that we're making between two elderly white men? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that in an ageist way or a sexist way or reverse sexist way, however you want to put it. Um, you know, there's just this sort of thought of, um, you know, because we're always saying, well, if it ain't, you know, if it's broken, fix it. Mm-hmm. And yet we continually sort of go, we're afraid to fix it because that means trying something new. Um, and I sort of felt like that was that was the kind of quote unquote political struggle that that Kremlin was going through. And you know, maybe certainly, you know, his, as his name is Kremlin, sort of the idea of going, well, you know, communism works. Well, no, it doesn't. We yeah. we all know it doesn't work. We all <laughs> we've seen it. <laughs> we've we've been through the Bolshevik re- revolution. Spoiler alert: it ends badly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um that so i you know i i'd be interesting and side note matthew and kelly were going to be here tonight but they mm. actually had other things that they had to do i would love to listen to the two of them just go off on this topic because i have oh a, i can't imagine they would spend hours yeah i have a feeling we generally our conversations are pretty tangential i have a feeling we sort of go into this whole um other realm so uh, maybe we'll get, um, maybe they'll film, uh, film. That's not the word. Record, record. Maybe they'll record a rebuttal. Um, and they'll just overlay it with this one so that, you know, they can hear our, our conversation and their conversation at the same time. Like DVD commentary. <laughs> All day better. Like with, I think we need to hold it to, hold them to that now. There we go. There we go. Podcast commentary. I like that. Wow. It's so um, meta. <laughs> I try. I, I try very hard. Um, 
I did love, okay, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and kind of skip over one topic that I wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, because I have a feeling that topic is going to be the longer one and I wanted to get to this one first. Um, sure. but I do love the idea of <sighs> spoiler alert. He gets his powers from this machine. You don't find out what it is in the first chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love this idea of, you know, I have these great abilities, but not necessarily taking a moment to step back and go, where do they come from? What are the consequences of this, both good and both and bad? Mm-hmm. And really, quite frankly, being incredibly irresponsible and subjecting other people to the same thing, um, again, without knowing good or bad. It's sort of like going, oh, this medication works for you here. This medication works for me. Here you have it. P.S. We don't know what the side effects are. <laughs> we'll discover that somewhere along the line. I was really fascinated by this sort of, um, you know, again, kind of deconstructing superheroes because superheroes are always so responsible and, you know, Superman and Wonder Woman are always pulling their punches and Batman is, you know, breaking bones, but not necessarily permanent nerve damage mm-hmm, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love that sort of uh, non-thinking way of thinking. Yeah, because he, for for context, for those who those who, have, who are unfamiliar, so like he, Hunter was a civil engineer, and he was he was on a boat going to look at some look at a device under the Brooklyn Bridge, right? And I and at first of all, I loved that he was an engineer, like the fact that he he understood how to build and create things himself, like he understood like the the nuance of machines inherently. Um, and it kind of, it, it, for me, when, when I first read how he got his powers, like it, it's this random device shows up and explodes, takes off half his face. And then all of a sudden, like within a couple seconds, he can talk and hear machines around him. And my mind immediately went to the fact, like, be, did he get those particular powers because he was an engineer, because he understood how machines worked? If some, if like if someone else, you know, with a different understanding or different knowledge base had been exposed to that blast would they got have gotten different powers who knows so that's i'm fascinated by the fact we don't know what this machine is yet um maybe future chapters we will but um yeah so immediately he under, he gets these great powers then he can talk to machines but he has no real understanding of like what the long-term effects could be and he just jumps into it you know and again going back to uh his friend kremlin who just the, the, almost the next chapter, it's, it's him giving him a, a helmet and a jetpack, being like, "Hey, here's your stuff. Here's your gear. Go save some people," and blindly jumping into it, like, "Yeah, absolutely." Because, oh, also, like, after <laughs> going back a little bit, there was like the one chapter of him as a kid. Like the, the the book starts out with him talking about how great superheroes are, you know, and talking about DC and Wonder Woman and, and Justice League, and so clearly he was infatuated by superheroes growing up so getting those powers all of a sudden like yeah of course he's going to jump jump into that without thinking mm-hmm. yeah i don't think anybody I, I i don't think there's been anybody again who's, who's been exposed to superheroes in the past you know 10 years since however many years it's been since iron man came out and which i think just means everybody and 
planet Earth has been exposed to superheroes. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's sort of gone, well, what would your power be? What would your power be? And we sort of have this tendency, I think, to look at it blindly and say, well, I'll, I do this. Um, I'm sure you thought of it. What would your superpower be? Um, oh, I would love teleportation. 100%. Mm -hmm. I was a big fan of Nightcrawler. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I understand that. Um, I would love to be um, like a Jean Grey telepath, but I have mm -hmm. a feeling I would probably... But it's scary because I worry that I would have, like, at some point it's going to corrupt you. And you're, you have the power of Jean Grey, but you end up with the morals of, of Emma Frost. Um, mm. For those of you who are X-Men fan, fans, that's a very specific reference. Um, let's just say that Jean was always a goody-goody and Emma, mm -hmm. not so much. Not so much. Um, so that's one of those things that I, I think, um, again, deconstructing the superhero um, genre that we don't always um i feel like he's a very much a fanboy who gets superpowers who doesn't necessarily think about um the implications of that mm -hmm. and the you know there's you know with great power comes great responsibility thank you peter parker um but those responsibilities don't always make themselves known long term because there's long term responsibilities short term responsibilities and immediate responsibilities and you know sometimes that's not always the way it works and what's crazy like in this universe like there there is an established you know comic books are real like dc and marvel are referenced in this book so that that's a real thing in this universe but he is the only superhero like no one else has powers so yeah, as you can you can say, you know, great power comes great responsibility. That's a well-known mantra, you know. But when you actually have those powers, how how likely are is a real person going to be able to like adhere to that? You know, that's why they keep killing ben, Uncle Ben off because they got to reinforce that. They got to they got to drive that that fact home. If you don't have something to drive that drive that home to, to kind of keep you grounded, you know, you're gonna again, you're gonna go Emma Frost. You're gonna go Dark Phoenix. You're gonna like have that power corrupt you. And, you know, nobody ever really has discussed sort of what would happen if he, if Peter had stopped that guy and Uncle Ben lived. We would right. never have had a Spider-Man. Um, you know, what would he have done yeah. with it? Would he have, you know, what would he have done with that? Would he have hidden it? Would he have, you know, anyway, it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. Like, I, it's hard to, side, side note, it's hard to believe. Like, there has to be like an alternate universe or a what if yeah. series, right? Marvel, call us. We'll be willing to write the uh, the maxi series for you. Twelve issues. Yeah, John's available. He's free. I got plenty of time. Nothing else to do during <laughs> this holiday season. Call me. Um, so, so yes, that is one of those things that is really, really fascinating to me. I also, I was just looking through the second book, and it was something that I wanted to touch on, and now I can't remember mm -hmm. what it was, and it's going to take me a second to find the same exact page again. And uh, oh, right. Um, I also love the fact that it really brings in the idea of how, because the police commissioner who he um, appoints is mm -hmm. the same police commissioner who tried to arrest him. Yeah, the first meeting. Because, you know, um, who, you know, what would the cops do? It's like, well, we're trained for this. 
that's a whole other plate of potatoes, um, especially given this year. But, you know, that idea of, you know, um, and now I'm actually thinking I would have been on a different side of, of Marvel's Civil War if I really sort of thought, if I had read this, if I had reread this book, you know, right before it, because there is this idea of, well, you need to be regulated and you need to have training you, because you can't just do these things and shut down the subway system for 11 hours and then fly away and just be like, oh, well, sorry, sorry. bye, catch you later. <laughs> you know, you can't just do these things. Um, but I do, I do love how they, they talk about um, how law enforcement would react to this. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, and that is a tricky thing because uh, I'm assuming when you say what side you are in civil war, I'm assuming you were um, anti-regulation, like you would be on cap side. Oh, I think I probably would be on cap side. Mm. The thing that I wish is that sort of, it became so much about, you're not going to tell me what to do. And much less about, well, okay, fine. I'm going to walk away. Don't call me if you get into trouble. And right. I don't mean that in a petty way. I don't mean like I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. I mean like I've been doing this for years. I know what I'm doing, you know, but it goes to that sort of, you know, if we don't find a way to live with their failures, maybe next time nobody gets saved. And I think I, I think sort of reading it also because let me be frank, I like Captain America way better than I like Iron Man. Um, sorry. I do too. For listening to this. Um, but, um, I, I, I like, I like Captain America the same way that I like Superman, which is what I am really, um, drawn to with both of those characters. And it's taken me years probably 30 35 years of comic book reading before i got to this point where i really was like oh now i get it mm -hmm. um was that i love the fact that they are continuously standing for what the aspirations of america is and not what america necessarily is at that moment if that makes sense i see what you're saying yeah i, I get that um i mean bring in some 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 uh, some dark horses into this mix like let's talk about the boys for example i'm not sure if you're familiar with the boys so we here we have yeah homelander homelander character which is kind of the embodiment of superman slash captain captain america and he is touted as you know the defender of america but it becomes a question of like it, it, whose values is he defending? Is he defending America's? Is he defending um, the Republicans or, or Democrats, whatever political powers in, in, in session? Um, so you have to understand, you have to try to understand like the, the person's particular morality and their, their, the way they're upbringing. I mean, um, I didn't read the comic, but I, I know that there is the uh, what is it? Superman Red Sun. That's when he like, lands in, in communist Russia. And it, just, it goes back to how were you were raised and what, what your actual morals are um, and what you're, what you're willing to defend. And with Captain America, it seems 
it seems different than than Superman. I feel like Captain America, his loyalty and his 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 understanding of what he wants to defend, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. I feel like, and I don't know why. I don't I don't have any justification for this, but I, I feel like Superman, he's very, much more stringent. I feel like he's very stiff in his beliefs. Like this is how things are should be. Um, this is how I'm going to defend what I want to defend. Um, I think Cap's a little more fluid and, and willing to change. Um, I think either one of them has the potential to go dark like Homelander. Yeah. Um, side note here, mm. there's two things that I want to bring up. The first is there actually was, it was a, a couple of years after Watergate, there, Watergate, I don't know why I dropped my R there. <laughs> In, a couple of years after Watergate, there was actually a Captain America storyline that dealt with a corrupt senator where he actually ended mm. up um, leaving his Captain America identity behind and giving it to someone else. Um, and became a superhero called Nomad. It's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've, I've heard that. Okay. Um, there is a, there is an Avengers run by Kurt Busiek, um, with Captain Marvel. She's not Captain Marvel yet. She's still mm. Warbird at the time. But she says this line to this rookie superhero, um, that's really fascinating. And I would recommend this, although, I would say that you probably need some background in Avengers to really appreciate it um, as much as like a, you know, hardcore superhero fan. Um, but she says, you know, the Avengers aren't perfect. Nobody knows that better than I do, but they're there to try to make the world a little more right and a little more fair at the end of the day. And I sort of feel mm-hmm. like that to me is what both Captain America and Superman are. Um, and I know we're straying far from Ex Machina. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. um, um, that to me is, is kind of both of them. And I think their methods are maybe different, but I think there's this thing where they're like, I am for, I'm not for this, I'm not for that, I'm for everybody. Um, because that's what we should do. And, you know, I mean, agree, yeah. disagree, there's something about that that is very, universal and very visceral for for readers that's a that's a whole nother comics corner right there that's that's deep uh, yeah let's we should we should um do another one and deconstruct actually maybe we can get um you and elizabeth who played wonder woman and we can uh-huh. do a whole sort of deconstruction of, of superheroes um for that we definitely need matthew and kelly <laughs> air horn to silence people or just like, I'll take control of the mute button and just be like, okay, you're done speaking now. Um, okay, I do want to circle back to one thing, mm-hmm. um, which is um, a plot point in the first book. Yep. With the art. Yep. Warn people, we're not going to use the word. There is a word that personally makes me nauseous to even think about it. However, the word is in the book, um, and it's an art exhibit that is done. Um, and there is an argument in there between the artist and between um, someone who works for Mayor 100, um, which talks about what art is, how art is perceived, um, and the artist says, um, it's not my job to explain what art 
is it's my job to do it and to let someone interpret it. And the reason that I wanted to bring that up is it's really interesting to me. I mean, uh, you know, I think comics are art. There's obviously illustration in there, so it's art. However, comics does something that other artistic mediums don't always do, which is it has words to give you an interpretation. You're essentially, you know, it's, it's the artist's design, it's the artist's way of storytelling, but it is still clearly influenced by the writer's intent. Um, so I just kind of wanted to sort of talk about what is art? Do words give art meaning? Does, because I, I mean, you and I are kind of, we sound like we're pretty much of one mind on this, although we've had things where we're like, well, that's how I thought, that's how I saw it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, do words give art meaning? Because that's kind of where that plot comes from. And I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. That's an interesting concept. I didn't, that's, I'm thinking of the actual artwork within, within the comic itself. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure if this is spoiling it to t- talk about. It. So yeah, there is a particular word. So there is an artist's rendering of Abraham Lincoln. It's just like, he's very stoic sitting on, on his, his chair with the word. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, the just famous the, portrait. The famous portrait, and then the the, the N word with scrolled mm-hmm. uh, or painted across that, and going back to like artistic license, artistic in, impression. Writing the word, writing that word, is a very distinct message. If you wanted to convey a particular, a different meaning, as, or necessarily, if you want to convey a, the same meaning in a different way, you could have perhaps the art, artist in this context could have simply painted that same portrait of Abe Lincoln, but, you know, colored him differently, you know, to convey that same message. But the fact that they, she painted the word across the painting, that is definitely trying to convey a particular message. So in to going back to your original statement, I think I'm, I think I'm veering off a little bit, but yeah, words convey can definitely influence art if you were to just look at something you do have your own personal responsibility to interpret it the way that you see it based on your own personal prejudice prejudices and the way you were raised if you are given word or dialect or, or dialogue it automatically kind of veers your perception to a certain degree i think so i think yeah, I, th- I think having words or dialogue influences artwork in a very specific, dynamic way. I'm not and sure that answers your question. The reason that I asked that question and the reason I wanted to specifically bring this up is it, as an African-American, um, as a queer African-American man, I look at if, if it had just been the... Um, this sort of famous portrait of him, I would have had a visceral reaction, but it would have still been a, vis- a different vis- visceral reaction because I, you know, I know enough about history. I'm not a history buff. Matthew is the history buff, but I know enough about history to know that 
while Lincoln freed the slaves, he also did not believe in equality. Um, and I know enough to know, I know myself well enough to know that while um, my visceral reaction was not to the art itself, it was to the word. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was kind of juxtapositioning it with knowing that my own filter from my own history, my own personality, my own um, perceptions of the world and how I function in it and fit in it and don't fit in it um, is, I just sort of, I always like to talk about these words because, you know, I'm of the belief that two people can be raised, you know, you can be twins raised in the same house, go to the same school, go to the same churches, you know, eat the same meals. And yet, because you're two different people, you're going to perceive things differently. And sort of, um, you know, I've had this conversation with Matthew about comics, and we've gotten into some, you know, knock, dra- knock down, drag out fights um, about sort of just the interpretation of words. And I'm like, that's not what that means. And I do, and I've, I've sort of gotten into it a little bit with Kelly here and there when I um, have passed in a draft of a script, and he's like, you have to change that. And I'm like, no, this is what that means. And he's like, oh no, that's not how I interpret it. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I've been using that phrase a lot tonight. I'm fascinated by, but I, I think that this is this sort of ultimately the perception of how of words kind of leads into the larger thing of this, of the perception of what it is to be a hero what it is to serve people, what it is to serve humanity. We all filter that through different things. Um, so it just is one of those larger conversations that I sort of was like, let's discuss, shall we? <laughs> oh, man. No, it's, it's, actually, it's actually funny because when I was, when I agreed to like uh, jump into Ex Machina for this, for this podcast, I was reading through and I think it's like maybe, you know, five or six pages into it and I see the, 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 the artwork and the word. I'm like, oh my god, we're gonna be talking. We're gonna be talking about this during the during the podcast. I know, and it's it kind of gave me anxiety a little bit because it, it it is a very visceral reaction to a word. I mean, I'm I'm coming from a different, completely different um, viewpoint. You know, I'm I'm a white male straight man, and so my interpretation and my experience with this word and, and this this concept is vastly different, you know, and I, I recognize the fact that I come from a very privileged point, you know, very much like Mayor Hunter himself. Um, and anyone who reads this comic, anyone who like reads through this first chapter and like, they're going to have a visceral reaction to this, you know, um, if they're gay, straight, black, white, Latino, it doesn't matter. They're, they're going to have a visceral, visceral reaction to it. And I guess going more towards the, um, the context and like the, the interpretation and the, and the intent of this particular scene in, in, in this uh, novel, it almost kind of feels like shock value in a way. And that's just my interpretation. You know, I, I, I'm never going to be a, 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 a uh, an art scholar. I'm, I, I don't really understand art myself. I'm much more of a sculpture person when, mm-hmm. when I go to a museum. So I don't, I'll be the first to admit that I don't really get art and I don't really get contemporary art. 
So for me, when I read it and, and I saw it, and if, if I were to see it in real life, it would seem much more just like it's there for shocking people and like getting that react, getting the reaction opposed to getting an emotion. And for me, art is about evoking a particular emotion, whether it's, you know, artist's intention or, or, or your own personal reaction. Um, I prefer to see it as emotion and not necessarily a reaction. And so I think with this, it, it became a reaction for me. And I'm not sure if that's what the author of Ex Machina was going for, or if he was going for something else. And that's... And it was interesting because he brings up back in the 80s, um, and I know this because I'm really old, um, back in the 80s, there was a big fight during the Reagan administration about the National Endowment for the Arts, um, which is, if you ever want to read just kind of a fascinating article about it, just look up Andre Serrano and Piss Christ and Karen Finley. Um, and uh, I think it had, this all kind of all happened around the time of Robert Maplethorpe's death, just sort of, okay. if you ever want to like, look at something about art this is just sort of a very fascinating time um in america because generally what happens is as politics become more conservative art kind of pushes the envelope um not sure how much more envelope we can push um uh but again i'm not an artist so um but it's it's really fascinating stuff and he actually brings up one of the pieces that created the furor and where people really literally tried to cut the National Endowment for the Arts out of the budget, um, which is uh, the Piss Christ, um, which is just, just Google it. Anyone who's listening, <laughs> go well for listening to us wrap up our chat. Um, but it's just fascinating. So anyway, so now that, okay, so now we've talked about art. Um, we're going to start to wrap this up, but I'm going to ask the question that I always ask at the end. Um, how did I do? Thumbs up, thumbs down, middling. Did, did I make a good recommendation for you? Absolutely. Thumbs up. Yay. Absolutely. Thumbs up. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why exactly. Cause um, when, when we were initially talking, I said, I, I don't, I'm not really a big DC guy because I feel like all the heroes are, have these godlike powers. And I never really, bought into that i like people i like humanized heroes i like people with with faults and who can fail and i feel like this one really encapsulates the reality of the situation you know it deals with real world situations and different in a different universe a different context and the main character the main hero is a very deeply flawed human being and i like that as it from from conceptually i love that and more than anything else I've, i've i've read you know um I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I've read a good chunk of it. Uh, we've only talked a little about the first chapter right now, but the writing is really good. This is a great story. Um, and I'm really excited to finish it because comic books are great. You know, they're the good little action, little, little, little bites of, of, of enjoyment. But if you, don't have a, if you don't have a good story, you know, it's not going to stay with you. And I think this has such an amazing story. It's going to stick with me for a very long time. I'm really excited to finish it. Yeah, I'm very glad to hear that you liked it. I, I think, and I, I don't want to, um, uh, we should wrap it up with talking mm-hmm. about Brian K. Vaughan and Tony Harris. Um, you know, Brian K. Vaughan, um, this, 
his words are not painted in bright colors. It's all shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's good. Nobody's bad. Um, they're just human, which is how um, we are. And it's very easy to forget in comic books and to make things simple um, and to make them, you know, they're funny books. And so that means that, you know, everything is easily distinguishable and that's not what this series is about. So I, I think it's, it's beautiful. And I, I, I do want to also give a shout out to Tony Harris's art, which is just lovely. And, um, and also I should probably shout out, uh, JD Mettler does the colors and Tom Feister does the inks. Um, and it's really beautiful because you, you do get to see sort of the past, the present, um, and it, everything is done kind of with a different color palette and a different ink. Yeah. Um, so you, you don't, you won't have a problem. If you're like me and you sometimes are like, I don't need to read that caption, <laughs> get it. <laughs> So, um, yay. I'm so glad that you liked it. All right. I think that means I'm batting a thousand. Is that the, is that the, the metaphor? Batting a thousand? I think. I, yes. Sports, sports reference. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but anyway, so, um, thank you so much, Chad, for joining us. I appreciate it. Snaps, snaps, snaps. Um, I'm so glad that you liked it. Again, this is John's Comic Corner. Today we talked about Ex Machina by Brian K. Vaughn and Tony Harris. Um, available at your local comic shop if you'd like to pick it up. Please do support your local stores. Um, that, you know, that money that you spend there means more to them than you will know, especially during this holiday season. Um, it's really, really important now so more than ever to ensure that you shop locally. Uh, you can go on to comicshoplocator.com. Um, John's Comic Corner is available to anyone who is a Patreon um, for us at $10 or above. I will ask you some very general questions, come up with a list of comic books for you, and you can tell, and we'll discuss it. You can tell me what I got right, what I got wrong, and if you liked it, if you didn't like it. Um, in the meantime, do check out our Kickstarter, kickstarter.com slash April is the coolest month. Um, we have a lot of amazing stories that we want to bring to you. Please, 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 if you're able to pledge, do. If you're not able to pledge, which we totally understand, uh, then please give us a signal boost. Tell your family, tell your friends. Um, and in the meantime, ears open, buds in. Don't sue us, please.